Good morning, and I'm especially um, sharing a greeting with anyone that's a, a friend today. You're a visitor, and you're a, a friend of somebody that's here. We're especially thankful that you are worshiping with us today. I would love to have the opportunity to connect with you following the service. I'll be up front. Um, please, if you're a visitor, come up. I'd love to get the chance to meet you. Um, I have a whole bunch of announcements that I want to share, but before I do that, I'd like to invite one of our staff members, ministry staff members, Cassandra Benton, is going to come up, and she's going to talk about a very special event that is happening this week. Will you welcome her, please? Good morning. Um, I actually have a couple announcements about Easter that um, involve First Kids. First, this Wednesday, April 12th, is our big family Easter event, Road to Resurrection. And we are so excited about this event. It is going to be so much fun. We have a lot of people coming out to put the event on. Um, so on Wednesday, we have about a tour that takes about an hour for families to come and experience five of the destinations or events that happened that week leading up to Easter. Um, we're really excited about it, but I do want to let you know you need to pre-register for this event to get a tour time. So if you have not registered yet, you can contact me or you can just call the church office and we can help get you registered for that. Um, one more thing to know about Road to Resurrection we do have nursery available. So if you want to participate, you want to bring your family to participate, but you have a little one that just might not make an hour tour, go ahead and bring them and put them downstairs in the First Kids Nursery. We've got some childcare down there for you. Um, also, of course, Easter is next Sunday, and so I wanted to let you know what's going on in First Kids for Easter. At 9.30, we'll have Sunday school, just like regular, for both um, children and adults. So regular Sunday school next Sunday at 9.30. Um, but during first service and during second service, if you have children in pre-K or in K-5, they will have the chance to come upstairs and sit with families and worship together up here in the sanctuary. Allison and I will be in the foyer next Sunday, handing out um, Easter packets so that your child will have that to do also during the service. Uh, if you have an infant or a two-year-old downstairs in First Kids, we do have um, childcare available. We'll have programming um, next Sunday for twos and for infants in the nursery. And again, if you have a pre-K or a K-5 kiddo, they'll get to come up here into the big sanctuary and worship with you as a family. Okay, hope to see you next Sunday. All right, thank you, Cassandra. Thank you very much. Well, today is Friend Day, and if you're visiting FCC for the first time, several things I want to make you aware of. First of all, our Welcome Center has a gift that is waiting for you, and we have gifts for first-time children as well. Now, this is for visitors, this is really for anyone. If on Sunday mornings you have questions, you're not sure where you're going, what events are happening, we have volunteers that are going to be wearing a volunteer tag every Sunday morning. Seek them out. They are trained. They are informed. They would be glad to get you where you need to go and answer any questions that you have. We have brand new connection cards, and those are in the pews in front of you. And so if you are new here, 
are looking to connect around here or you need to update your contact information, fill out that connection card. You can turn it in at the Welcome Center. Now, many of you have noticed that our bulletin has been modified, and I've had many questions already this morning about the bulletin. Uh, people have said, where's the prayer list? Where's the hospital list? It's still there. It is now in the weekly news notes that are available at the Welcome Center. You can get these every week. They're going to be available electronically. We're even putting together an email that will go weekly with our news notes so you can get them just as quick as they are printed. But you can stop by the Welcome Center today and get all the, uh, the information that you might want about what's happening at FCC. Tonight, Ice Cream Social, 6 p.m. We would love to see the Family Life Center absolutely packed. Um, people have said, does everyone have to bring a half gallon of ice cream? We're asking families that attend to bring a half gallon of ice cream. But if uh, several of you are going to come together, go in on a half gallon of ice cream. I will be honest, I have dreamed about what it would be like to see the freezer full of leftover ice cream that could be there for weeks and weeks and weeks. But we definitely want to make sure that there will be enough. Everyone is invited. If you have friends that aren't here today, call them, bring them with you ice cream social tonight. Well, last summer, we spent uh, 10 weeks going through the book of Acts, and we only made it to about chapter 14, which is actually the halfway point of the book of Acts. And today, we jump back into that mix, and today, we're going to have an opportunity to, to look at one of my favorite passages in the entire book of Acts. Samuel, go ahead and put up last year where we, where we were with the book of Acts. We started with the birthday of the church, and we just kind of started strategically going through from Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, and on and on. Acts chapter 9, we saw the conversion of Saul. We have the new vision in Acts chapter 10. We, we wrapped in the summer with Acts chapter 12, that crazy passage of Scripture where Herod Agrippa I didn't give praise to God and he was eaten by worms. How many of you remember that passage? You're going to look that up if you weren't here that day because how can anybody be eaten by worms? It's in the Bible, I promise you. And then last October, following my trip out to New England, I shared about the first missionary journey and some of the work that's going on in the New England church plants. All of this revolved around this kind of jumping off verse in the very first chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said before his ascension, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we saw a lot of things happening in Jerusalem for the first several chapters. And then they started to spread out to Judea and Samaria. And now we are full bore into the ends of the earth. Um, the schedule for the book of Acts is going to be a little different than what you might normally expect. You might think you just jump in with chapter 15 and you're on your way. We're actually going to look at an account from the middle of the second missionary journey today. Next week, we're going to look at Acts chapter 17 and Paul's visit to the city of Athens, the intellectual capital of the first century world. So you'll want to check that out. And then the following week, I'm talking about India, April 23rd. If you want to know more about my India trip, the entire morning is going to be dedicated to that. The message is going to be about the work that's going on in India. And I'm going to do an update during the Bible school hour as well. And then we'll jump back in to our study on the book of Acts. Uh, the second missionary journey was a lot longer than the first missionary journey in terms of distance and also in terms of time. 
And so the gospel is really, truly starting to spread all over the world. More than likely, the account that we're looking at today happened around 49 A.D., 50 A.D., And many historians would say Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was around 30 A.D. So we're looking about 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you remember back to that sermon in the fall, and most of you probably will not, but that first missionary journey involved Paul and Barnabas. And they were kind of like Batman and Robin. They were the dynamic duo, but they have a falling out. And we're going to look at that falling out early in May, but the result of that is Paul goes one direction, Barnabas goes another direction. We're never going to hear about Barnabas again in the book of Acts, but the story of Paul will continue to be told. And on this second missionary journey, he has a guy by the name of Silas that's traveling with him, and also one of his young sons of the faith, a guy by the name of Timothy. And so my big idea today, the the jumping off point, and and I was thinking about it this morning, praying over the message very early this morning, and this is a message for anyone wherever you're at in life and in faith. If you're a lifelong follower of Jesus, you need to grab a hold of this big idea. If you're a brand new baby Christian, you need to grab a hold of this idea. And if you're a visitor today and you're not a Christian, one of the things that's really going to help you if you ever make that decision to be a follower of Jesus is to embrace this big idea. And here it is. Here's the big idea. Good things and God things will happen when we practice the spiritual disciplines. Good things and God things will happen when we practice the spiritual disciplines. What are the spiritual disciplines? Well, prayer is a spiritual discipline. Worship is a spiritual discipline. I'm not just talking 815, the hymns, but but that whole life worship is a spiritual discipline. Being in God's word is a spiritual discipline. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. We get a little nervous about that one. I do at least, because I love my food. Silence and solitude is a spiritual discipline. And we're going to see this morning through a, through a terrible set of circumstances how practicing the spiritual disciplines makes all the difference in the world. Now, normally, I put the scripture up on the screen. I'm changing things around today, and I'm inviting you to grab your Bible, and if you don't have your Bible, to grab a pew Bible and turn to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read out of my Bible. I put my iPad away. I'm inviting you to read out of your Bible. And if you have an iPad, feel free to use it or an iPhone. That's great. But I want us to to read together Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 16, Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi. Middle of the second missionary journey, they arrive at Philippi. Philippi was the the city, it was a very important city. And it's where Christians really made a difference in the name of the Lord. Paul would eventually write a letter to the church at Philippi. We call it the book of Philippians, the faith builders, and the Tuesday morning ladies Bible study are going through the book of Philippians as we speak. Let's look at this first encounter in Philippi. Verse 16, it says, Once, when we were going to the place of prayer. Now Luke is writing this because Luke is here. So he doesn't say they... He says, we, he's a part of this journey. We were going to the place of prayer, regular ritual, practicing the spiritual disciplines. We were met by a slave girl 
who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Now, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, that's a good message, right? She's, she's correct. Obviously, in this encounter, she's able to really see what's playing out. But um, more than likely, if you heard that over and over and over again, it would wear you out. Verse 18. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And so that's a good thing, you would think. Verse 19, the owners don't think so. When the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, These men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Now, after they had been severely flogged, and this week, Passion Week, we're going to see Jesus be severely flogged as we read through the scriptures. Here's the point you need to understand. This isn't a yardstick and a couple swats on the behind. There were people that died from a flogging like this. Many times when people were sentenced to die by crucifixion, they never even made it to the cross. Because the flogging was so severe. That's what happened here to Paul and Silas. So after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Does that verse seem out of place to you? You've been severely flogged, maybe beaten to the point of death. And you're not sleeping at midnight. You're praying. And you're singing hymns of praise to the Lord. That seems out of place with my world. Maybe with your world. Maybe with our concept of how we would deal with such suffering, such pain, such unjust treatment. Verse 26, suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. See, this jailer knew that it would be better for him to take care of himself than for the Roman military to get to him. If you're a jailer who's messed up like he has conceivably messed up and these special prisoners ha have escaped, you don't want to face those kind of consequences. Again, we can't wrap our brains around that with our American system of justice and the opportunity to make a case. The Romans, they, they didn't want to hear your case. You just protect those prisoners. 
You just guard those prisoners. If they're escaped, there's not going to be any explanation. There's going to be an execution. I love this. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in this house. At his house. At this hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, not so fast. He didn't say that, but he kind of said that. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. That was a huge no-no in the first century world. If you weren't a Roman citizen, they could mess with you all they wanted to. But if you were a Roman citizen, you had rights. Paul's a Roman citizen. He said they can't get away with that. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. And so I love this chunk of Scripture. I love this passage of Scripture. And what I think I like the most about it for today, friend day, is it doesn't matter if you're a lifelong follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you are a seeker and you're not a follower of Jesus. There's something in here for all of us. And so I have five takeaways that I want us to look at today. And number one is this, doing good and doing God's will can produce negative consequences. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a God-fear, sometimes doing good, sometimes doing God's will can and will produce negative consequences. That doesn't really jive with what you might see on your television from time to time. This idea that if you just love Jesus, health and wealth is coming your way. This is not a health and wealth passage. Much of the New Testament is not a health and wealth passage. Sometimes really bad things happen to God's people. Sometimes people doing God's will face terrible negative consequences. Uh, while we were sleeping, something like that happened in our world. In Egypt, two Coptic Christian churches were attacked on Palm Sunday services. And dozens are dead, and hundreds are injured. Egypt, a place where, where there's a, a pretty healthy population of Christians, and they're really making a difference. The Coptic Christians are really making a difference. They are an abused 
body of believers. And so Palm Sunday, that day that should be a day of celebration, has turned into a day of heartbreak for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt. You can read about it on CNN. You can read about it on your favorite internet news site. It's tragedy. Sometimes really bad things happen to God's people doing good and doing God things. You may say, that doesn't sound very much like a parade. That doesn't sound very exciting. Why, Why would you bring that in on Palm Sunday? Today's supposed to be a happy day. Here's the point. The storms of life will come. End of the Sermon on the Mountain. Wise man built his house on the rock. Foolish man built his house on the sand. Same thing happened to both of them. The storms of life came. And for some of you, you're living that storm of life right now. And for some of you, you're saying, man, my life is great. And just wait, because the storm of life will probably come your way at some point. And so the question isn't really, will it happen? But when will it happen? And what will you be prepared to do? And that leads me to number two this morning. My second takeaway is this. The best tonic for the storms of life is worship and prayer. I'm blown away by verse 25. They had been flogged severely. They're not sleeping. They're not whining. They're not complaining. They're praying and they're praising. They're worshiping. I don't get that. I want a faith like that. You should want a faith like that. When I was younger, I can't remember the exact time, I think it was the early 90s that this song came out. You remember this song? Don't worry, be what? Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. And for some of you, you have that kind of rolling through your mind when you're dealing with your boss at work and you want to punch him in the face. You know you can't do that. And so you just say, don't worry, be happy. And I've got a kind of a, um, a different phrase to give you today. It's actually two phrases to give you. Don't worry, be praying. Don't worry, be worshiping. Paul and Silas would not let these people, and they did evil. The people that that flogged them, that was an evil act on their part. It was an illegal act, but it was an evil act. And they said, we won't let the evil stand. But they also said, we won't let this opportunity pass. And so the next time you find yourself saying, God, what's going on? Why is my family dealing with this? Why am I dealing with this? Why is life so difficult? Don't worry, be praying. Don't worry, be praising, be worshiping. Try it out. You've got absolutely nothing to lose. Number three, third takeaway, Paul and Silas are given a miracle from God. Shazam! Earthquake! And this is very similar to what happened to Peter in Acts chapter 12. He was imprisoned. And he had all the guards around him, and his chains were loosed. And what did Peter do? You remember? He left. He got out of Dodge. He he was gone. And so if this is me and God provides a miracle, Greg is gone. Greg is 
out of here. Greg is running as fast as he can. But there's something special about Paul and Silas, and they react a whole lot differently than I would. And a whole lot differently than most of us probably would. See, they refuse to run away in fear. They're not running away. And because of this crazy response on their, their part, here's what happens. This illogical reaction leads to a most spiritual question. See, the jailer can't believe what's happening. The jailer's watching this unfold. He knows he's probably going to lose his life in an awful kind of way if even one prisoner's gone. Their God is obviously an awesome God because he provided this earthquake and this opportunity to escape. And they stayed around? They didn't run away? They're right where they said they would be? And so the jailer's really helpless to do anything other than ask the most important question of all. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? If you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, Christian, whatever term you want to use, that's the question of the hour for you. What must you do to be saved? See, there's a lot of stuff in this world that doesn't make sense. There's a lot of things that happen in this world that I can't wrap my brain around and I don't understand. But I know this, being a follower of Jesus makes it easier to swallow and makes me realize this world is not my home. And so if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, will you seriously contemplate that question? Will you seriously consider that question? Will you ask, what must I do to be saved? Number four, takeaway number four. Because Paul and Silas are at peace in prison, many are saved. Many are saved. The jailer and his entire household come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because they're operating differently than I would or maybe you would or maybe most people would. Have you ever heard them talk about a basketball player or a baseball player? They're in the zone. I've heard baseball players say that it looks like a beach ball when, when the baseball's coming in because they're in that zone. Paul and Silas, they're in the zone, but it's a spirit zone, a Holy Spirit zone. And because of that, many are saved. And so how does that play out? Here's how it plays out. He asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And he gets an answer. He said, you need to believe. And then they sit down, and, and there's a little give and take. And they explain to them the good news of Jesus Christ. We in the Christian church here, the First Christian Church of Clinton, we're part of a thing called the Restoration Movement. And we're about 220 years old, give or take a couple years here or there. And it's kind of an American movement. Guys like 
Thomas and Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone and Walter Scott. They were our forefathers, our forerunners. And probably my favorite founding father of this movement was a guy by the name of Walter Scott. Because Walter Scott was a Clinton, Illinois kind of guy. He wasn't a big city kind of guy. He was a Clinton, Illinois kind of guy. Ministered for a while in Jacksonville, Illinois. But his favorite thing to do was just to journey around and to tell people all about how to come to faith in Jesus Christ. To answer that question, what must I do to be saved? And here's what he said. And it rang true in 1811, and it rings true in 2017. I must believe and repent and confess and be baptized and live the Christian life. See, a gospel explanation and presentation in Acts chapter 16 leads to belief and it leads to baptism. What must I do to be saved is the question. They get the gospel explanation and we see belief and I'm sure repentance and confession and we see baptism and an entire large household is saved. Great, great takeaway. And that leads me to number five. And I could end the sermon right here because number five is kind of the rest of the story. It doesn't really have a lot to do with the meat of the message. But I'm as excited about number five as any part of this message today. And here's what number five is. Paul and Silas don't take off. They don't leave Philippi without further encouragement for God's people. They don't say, boy, that was quite an experience. We had the flogging and the earthquake and the baptism and it's time to hit the road. No, there was a gal by the name of Lydia. She was introduced earlier in our text before we read today, the first part of chapter 16. Samuel's going to be preaching on Lydia a little bit later in the month. But they go to Lydia's house. She's on fire for Jesus. And before they take off, they say, we want to share encouragement for God's people. You probably know that we have been an incredibly blessed church, and we were able to, um, to do some major, major facility updates. And the part of our building that I am most excited about is right outside our sanctuary. There's a room, we're calling it the fireside room. It's got kind of the, uh, what would you call it, the, the glass that you can't look through, whatever that is, just right around the corner here. And um, today, we are starting a brand new opportunity for all of you. Every Sunday morning, we will have an elder, and most weeks their wife, in the fireside room, and they are there for you. They're not there the, to, to, to answer 15 questions about why is there a new bulletin or why is the carpet this. That's not the purpose of it. But they're there to offer spiritual encouragement, to pray for you, to encourage you. To lift you up. Ken and Susan Klein are, are there right now. And so every Sunday morning, about 9.05 until 9.30, an elder and, and many weeks their wife will be there waiting to bring you spiritual encouragement. Sometimes I'll be honest with you, I, I find myself at my wit's end, spiritually speaking. And that sounds kind of silly, probably coming from a preacher, because we're supposed to be so much closer to God, we're, we're not. We get discouraged just like you do. We have heartbreak and heartache just like you do. And during those seasons, I got a couple, op a couple options. 
Option one is just to keep it all inside and just put up a, a good front, put up a good face. But what I really need to do is reach out and say, I, I need you to pray for me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to bless me, spiritually speaking. And so fireside room every Sunday morning, 9.05 to 9.30, 11.35 to noon, there's spiritual encouragement waiting for you. And so I, I'm done with the message. We've tackled Acts chapter 16, all, all 25 verses that, that we looked at today. But I can't wrap this up without leaving you with some questions. This is a really bad homiletical principle, so it is what it is. But I want to leave you with three questions, and I really want these to kind of float in your mind and maybe work on you during Holy Week. And, and question number one is this. Are you practicing? Are you practicing the spiritual disciplines? When you read about Paul and Silas, more, more times than not, you're going to probably say, I don't, I don't get that. I want you to get that. I want you to get to the point to good time, bad time, storm of life, mountaintop experience. My life is all about practicing the spiritual disciplines. That's who I am. That's what I'm about. I pray every day. I, I practice whole life, everyday worship every day. I'm in God's word every day. Are you practicing? And if you're not, start today in your new bulletin, Bible reading. Start today. Make today the day that you dive in. Number two, are you at peace? Are you at peace? The title of this message is um, The Peace of God at Play While in Prison. Because when I read it and I look at Paul and Silas, I see the peace of God at play in their lives. And so if you're not at peace today, why not? Figure it out. If you need help figuring it out, get, give me a call. Give one of the staff a call. Give one of the elders a call. Give a brother or sister in Christ a call. Because if you're not at peace with God, that's a dangerous place to be week in, week out. And then question number three, probably the most difficult question of all, are you prepared to praise him in the storms of life. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Our God is an awesome God. And good things, even God things, will happen when we draw near to him. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be in worship. And God, I'm especially thankful for our visitors that are here today. But uh, more than anything today, I'm thankful for Jesus and the hope that he brings us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.